Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. For those who don't know me, I'm, my name's AJ, and I'm part of the team. It stands for Adrian Johannes, which um, has some Dutch roots, and um, so I typically go for Holland in the Soccer World Cup. Not that that's relevant at all, but it's good to have you here um, this morning. Isn't it good that this morning, actually, we, we completed our spheres of influence space, and so you would have noticed that every one of these words have come up. Um, as we've gone, and uh, I reckon it's going to stay here because this is such a big part of what we are and what we stand for in that um, Sundays are not about Sundays, but they're actually about equipping you and cheering you on to make a difference for God in your world. And so I've loved that, and through next year, we're going to implement it in different ways and in different measures. We're going to have speakers on every topic, and so we're just super excited that this has started in this journey, and, and we know that the paradigm shift will continue as we go. I uh, spoke to Clinton this morning briefly, and he's just a lovely thing that's born in them. Obviously, we all love the Bible, right? Come on. If you don't, you will in the future, but the Bible is central to our journey. It guides us to Jesus. It shows us who He is. It reveals Him. So we want to challenge you that over the next 24 days, right up um, through the Advent season, that we read the book of Luke. And so we're going to do that as a team. We're going to read through the book, and I think the team there will help me, possibly, yep. Um, And we want to challenge you to do that from today. So read a chapter a day for 24 days, and then by the end of it, we'll just be in that space. And so maybe just use it as a time of devotion, as a time of centering yourself on the written word as the, as the living word is revealed in your life uh, to do that. We, we started a series a couple of weeks ago in the evening service, and this morning we're starting it here called TGIM, TGIM. And so the idea really is, is that we would ignite, inspire, motivate you to change a paradigm, change a way of thinking in your head that instead of looking forward to Friday as the top day in your week, that you would start looking forward to Monday. Now, I know times have changed. We all work on different days. Some do night shifts. Some do shifts where they swap around in different days. Whatever that means for you, may Monday represent the day that you actually go to work. Often we see that as a blue Monday. We see it as, oh, mate, just have to get into it again. And so we put that hat on, right? And then uh, Friday comes, we put that hat on. Some of us put a different hat on on Saturday. And then Sunday, we put our church hat on, (laughs) metaphorically speaking. We're not bringing that back. So we're super excited that, um, that we can go on this journey, but it's not easy to do because not all of us enjoy our work. Does all of us enjoy our work? Can you not wait to get there and get your hands dirty? Not all of us enjoy our workplace. Not all of us enjoy our colleagues. Uh, don't have to amen too loudly. Some of them might sit here. Or your boss, some of them might sit here. So don't, don't feel stressed. But it's important for us to go on this journey because God has called us to be co-laborers in his kingdom. And that we're not simply just recipients of his grace, and we're not simply just recipients of his goodness and his love and his mercy and his sacrifice, but we are invited in to participate in this place. And it's in that place of participation that we discover our true value. Have you ever had a conversation where the other person was just talking and talking and talking? If that was me, I confess, I'm sorry. We were just talking and talking, and you didn't have a chance to participate or a meeting. That's the meetings you fall asleep in. 
But it's the ones that you have an opportunity to speak, when you have an opportunity to contribute. When you walk away, you feel, man, that was good. We changed the world. <laughs> because I actually feel like I made a difference. The challenge is, is that church is often focused in the past um, on the Sunday as the most sacred space. And so we come into a Sunday morning and we see it, dedicating it to the Lord, and that's all good. And we experience His presence, and often we think that we come into His presence, when actually we've always been in His presence. But the reality is, is that He's there all of the time. Uh, Paul Stevens writes this as a quote. He says, The prioritizing of ministry over work is now a fatal disease in Western Christianity. The work of the ministry has triumphed over the ministry of work. Careers and jobs are listed in the minds of believers from top to bottom on a scale of holiness and eternal relevance. Missionaries and pastors on the top and stockbrokers at the bottom. Maybe they need to stay at the bottom. <laughs> what, we, what we are proclaiming here in this place is that actually uh, being a pastor or working in ministry is, is not that big of a deal. And that the reality is, is that we're all in ministry. And that our workplace is our place of ministry. And our workplace might be our home place because that's a season that God has placed us there. Just really sense this morning in my heart that included in social services are mums that stay home and keep children alive. It's a big deal. And it's a valid deal. And it's a sacred work. It's not time out. You're not on the bench. I don't think there's a bench when it comes to Christianity. I think there's a pre-season. Come on, you love sport. I think there's a season. I think there's a post-season. I don't think there's a bench. I think we're all in, irrespective. And in certain seasons, we can bring certain things. And each of it carries beauty. And each of it is sacred. Our Mondays in Christ are validated. It's important. It's very important. Uh, Martin Luther King wrote, or said, just look at your tools, at your needle and thimble. I don't know what that is. Someone can tell me later. Your goods, your scales, everything our bodies do, the, ex the external and the carnal, is and is called spiritual behavior if God's word is added to it and it is done in faith. You can work and survive and get through it and see as the work of the flesh so you can escape that, or you can actually see that as your calling and your place where God wants you to move and have your being. We have this saying in church world, and I love it, that we exist for our non-members. That we come together here on a Sunday, and the main beneficiaries of our time together is those that aren't here, because of the effect that God has in our lives to go out and make a difference. In Genesis, we read that there was this incredible promise that we are included in that was made to Abraham. I'll make you a great nation, says God. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I shall curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of them. The nation of Israel was the original receivers of God's, God's word and God's promise. And sometimes we think that they were excluded or included and that the rest of the world was excluded. We think that their election was in a way their salvation. But I want to submit to you that maybe election is not about salvation, but maybe election is about vocation. Maybe being picked by God to do a good work in this world 
is for the very reason to reach those that don't know Jesus, that don't know God, that don't feel included. We see in the new covenant that, that Paul discovered this concept. And as he communicated that, we see it in the letters of Hebrews, that the whole reason that Israel went through this journey was an epilogue. It was a preseason to, to introducing the whole world to the news. That there is no Jew and Gentile. That there's no spiritual superiority because of your bloodline. Because in Jesus, there's one line. You don't have to fall in line. There's one line that's been drawn. And that's the bloodline of Christ. And you, my brothers and sisters, fall in that line. Before Jesus was crucified, he was known as, as the only begotten son, right? A lot of the writings. After his death and resurrection, he was known as the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. In that moment, when we have communion later, we were all put in the bloodline of Christ, included in the promise of Abraham, included in the call of God, not just in being healed, which is good, not just in being saved, which is good, but in being participants in the restorative work of God. That's huge. Because now I'm not just saved and as an empty vessel I come and I'm just grateful and I owe you, Lord. But I'm actually being invited in this morning. Come on, this is a spiritual word through our prayer team. Invited in this morning and almost by the Holy Spirit urged to participate. Prompted to respond. I pray that this morning that there would be a there will be something in your spirit that says, I've been on the sidelines for too long. I thought I was on the bench, but actually I'm in the game. And that the only difference has been in my mind, which is the process of sanctification. Mondays are valid. We read in John 4, verse 39 to 42, the story of the Samaritan woman. Now, if you've been in church, you would have heard it. You would have known the context. Samaritans weren't the most popular people. They were that side of the town, the south side, that side of the bridge. <laughs> Some of them are all right because they go to church, but they're sort of Jews and Gentiles mixed together. I mean, this mixed thing happening. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> um, we know the story, and so Jesus meets this woman in the middle of the day. She shouldn't have, she, she went there because she didn't want to be seen. He tells her stuff about herself that, that he shouldn't have known, but he did. And then he speaks to her about this living water, and he says, this water, if you're thirsty, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. And in fact, you will become yourself a well. You will become yourself a spring. You see, you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You're, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God included as the righteousness of God to partake in his word. And so the result, I'm always excited about the result. There's one thing of a healing, but then what happens? So what? What now are the questions that pop up in my head? And most of the stories where Jesus healed people and restored them, it's fascinating to see how they were then sent. How they would have thought that, oh, I've just escaped something. But God actually introduces them. No, 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 you've just entered. That this is actually just the beginning. You thought it like all my troubles are gone. I'm saved. I'm delivered. I'm free. But that freedom, that liberty is now actually a mandate to move forward. So it's your beginning. It's not your end. And this world is about beginnings. It's not about ends because it never ends. Because we're coming back to earth to work it. Because what we do now matters on earth. It actually matters. The earth actually matters. The people actually matter. We're not clenching our teeth and saying, dear Jesus, can I just survive this week so I can just escape home, which is a lazy boy and a cold drink, unfermented, 
and I'm going to watch sport. <laughs> and I'm just going to isolate myself there in my aircon. Come on, that's heaven. See, I think our language about heaven and hell and eternity is, is good, and I think there are moments for that, but I also think that it is often an excuse for us not to partake on the work in earth, in our road, in our neighborhood, of bringing heaven into the hell next door. Let's not live there. This is a place where you get saved, where you get healed, but we also move out of stuckness into being a participant in God's kingdom. And all of us already are. It's just how we see it. So read the story. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, and, and just before that, she actually ran into the town saying, I met a man. <laughs> I think that's hilarious, by the way, <laughs> if you know a bit of the backstory. It might also be very sad because we don't know exactly what she did. Like she might have lost her husband to death. But anyway, just running into the town saying, I met a man. I think is profound. And they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed. Jesus stayed after this woman's experience two days. And because of his, many wor his words, many became believers. They said to the women, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. One of the biggest mistakes we can make is think that we introduce people to Jesus. He introduces himself through us. So maybe they're not going to remember our names, but they'll know the Savior of the world. Is that okay? Is it okay that you are a part of someone's journey of discovering who they are in God? And is that okay that they wouldn't, might not even remember your name? I have this dream and vision, and I, I'm, I don't know if I'll achieve it. I'll need accountability to make the biggest difference in my life and at the same time be most invisible as I can. I need to lose a bit of weight for that to happen. Um, but I also need to lose a bit of ego. Because I know how tempting it is to brag about what I've done. And this week, our story of our hampers were in a local newspaper. And I sensed it was coming. <laughs> and I couldn't wait because the moment I saw it, I shared it ten times. And I think it's good to share God's news. And it's good to point away from ourselves. But it's, it's not good that when we do good, that we feel we need to feel good. It's not good that we need to elevate ourselves in the process of helping others. It's good to celebrate this community. I get it. But let's not make them a project of our insecurity. And let's serve every week in 2020 the poor, the needy, the hurting of our community. So we don't peak in December. It just shows what we've done the whole year. Is that okay? For me, that's a challenge. So I'm looking at myself in the mirror. I'm saying, AJ, be careful, my friend. Because <laughs> I'm so insecure. I need all the boost I can get. Let's not take it from the God that's doing it all through us. Profound, this moment of this woman and the effect of it. Three marks, we need to have three points. Three marks of a TGIM-er. You're a TGIM-er. I'm still gonna think of words. Some people call it city changers. Some people call it world shakers, planet shakers, history makers, I don't know. Like that all rhymes and sounds good, but the principle is, what are the things that identify me? 
Now we know that it's through the Oris tense and the way that the New Testament is written that everything about Jesus is true about us, that he is our blueprint, our prototype, that he, we are made in his image and likeness, not just to look like him, but to be like him. But we're also in the process of discovering that. When you say yes to Christ, you don't arrive. You start becoming aware of your arrival. And as you mature as a believer, you take more responsibility in changing the world and with Him and His Spirit. So I'm saved in God, and I'm being saved. I'm sanctified, I'm included, I'm set apart, I'm holy, but I'm also being sanctified. And I'm sent, man. I'm sent the moment I get born into this world. I'm sent. And then I'm sent to school, and I'm sent to high school. Some of us are sent to prison. <laughs> We're sent back into the world. We're sent to get our license. Some of us fail. I failed three times. We're sent into things. And it's so important to know how sent you are because we are a sent people following the sent one. So let's delve into that for a few minutes. Save. Galatians 3 verse 28 reads, There is now no distinction in regard to salvation, neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you who believe are all one in Christ Jesus. No one can claim spiritual superiority. The Amplified, I love you. And if you belong to Christ, if you are in Him, then you are Abraham's, come on, descendants and spiritual heirs according to God's promise. In Jesus, we've all been brought in. We're saved. Are you grateful for your salvation? I think we move on so quickly from that moment that we don't rotate back and forth through what this actually means as we're being saved in our minds. We're sanctified. Hebrews 12, 14, out of context, go and read the whole book. Continuously pursue peace with everyone and the sanctification without which is no one will see the Lord. I think often we think of sanctification as a cleansing process as a cleaning process, as if what God has not done, I need to do for myself. And I can, find I accept my eternal destination, but this is now a personal development moment, the rest of my life, as I'm fixing my mind. And as we realize, as we get a bit older, don't put up your hand, you'll realize that actually <laughs> you can't fix yourself. That actually you're not so strong and that your mental determination will not sort out everything in your life. You need the help and the guidance of God. But if you could realize that God has sanctified you in Christ, that he has set you apart, it's more an issue of purification of thought and clarification. And I just see this bottle of water with sand in and as you shake it, it's misty and you don't even know what's happening. But as the dust settles, you can see. And that is our journey. As our eyes open to the goodness of God in our lives, we gain clarity over every area of our life, over the things that poison us, over the things that bring us down, over the insecurities that limit us and help us to scapegoat other people for their problems. <laughs> There's a little one that I put in there. It gives us clarity. But it's important to know that when you go into this world that you are being sanctified but also that you don't need to be fully sanctified in your mind and perfect and sorted out before you can be sent. That often God uses your sending to sanctify you. That the saving is all about Him. 
But the participation, the journey, the discovery is about God actually sending you. And often, you actually have to move first into serving, into praying, into seeing your world as your workplace as divine and sacred. And in that process, you actually start understanding. Is there anyone here? Or did we figure it all out and we made ourselves perfect and then we entered the world when we were 85 years old? I think God's plan is to get us moving to get us shifting. And as we heard last week from Jonathan, there is a shaking in the world. There is a shaking in your life. But that the shaking gets you moving into what God wants to do through your life. Can I ask that we start navigating away from what God does for us or what God does to us, like we're just an object of His affection and His blessing and His favor. Come on, divine favor. That's why I get the parking spot every time I go to the mall. Name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. I'm just there, right in front of the door. If it's legal, it's mine. Can we move to a place where we say, maybe God's goodwill is that we receive from Him? Maybe He, he, he wants us to be able to sort out the stuff in our life. We know that, the sanctification. Maybe that's, maybe that's, that's the better will for Him. But what if His perfect will? is that he actually lives through us into the world. I love watching my children. My, I've got two girls and a boy. And I think one of the proudest things as a parent when they're born first is to actually see uh, their features. Like you have, you have grandfather's ears. Why did God do that to you? <laughs> not, lit, not my children, anyway, maybe. <laughs> you have mom's eyes. You, you know, you have, you have your uncle's dimples. And actually identifying within your children what is in the parent. I think one of God's proudest moments is when he looks at us and he says, man, you have my mercy. You, you, you have my life-giving spirit. You have, you have my healing in you. You have my faith. You have my... You have my purpose, you have my strength, you have my joy. What if God looks at us like that? And what if we can see that the cross was a success and that our discovery process now is to align our minds, Romans 12, to, to get clarity about where we're heading. Because you know what? Your behavior will actually follow suit. Don't worry too much about your behavior. Adjust your belief and your behavior will follow. Is that all right? Or we just all focused on behavior? No? <laughs> okay. Behavior will change when belief shifts. The third thing is that we would be sent. For God did not send the Son, come on, John 3, 17, um, into the world to judge and condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Why did God come and save us all? Well, He did in Christ. But He sent himself as his son into the world to save us the sent one which we now follow in the way i have given them your word john 17 jesus praying to god for us and the world has hated them we're not in this for popularity are we for they are not of the world praise god any more than i am of the world my prayer is not that you take them out we are not escaping this place and as we heard last week 
we're still here. Sometimes your sanctification comes by sending. I want to ask you this morning, that maybe part of your sanctification is your healing, but maybe before you've been healed completely and restored to your perfect state, it's more of a journey of becoming, which is in our statement here, becoming what God has made us to be. As I finish with a little analogy, who loves stories? I've, I've found out that I actually love stories more than my wife loves stories. <laughs> so when I start telling stories, she's like, get to the point. What are we going to decide? <laughs> and sometimes in the, like the pro, pro, prologue of my story, because I love to tell it like that, she, she's like, no, nah, it's not going to work. Stupid idea. Don't do that this morning. Give me some space to tell the story. Okay. Thank you. Who's been to a hotel? Yeah? Maybe for work. Maybe for fun. You always have to market work or leisure. It's, it's often funner when you don't have to pay for the hotel. Right? You can just enjoy what there is. You're not even measuring the stuff, really. You're just, it's all a bonus, right? Because it's all free. But the moment you pay for it, something shifts. And the more expensive your hotel is, the more nitpicky you become. You know? You're, you get specific about your pillows. I don't want a medium pillow. I want a hard pillow. I'll choke on a soft pillow. The bed must be slightly elevated for my feet to be above the rest. Like I, the, the television has to be a certain size, the, depending on the price. So I want value for money. I want a good experience. And I think that the church often has found itself in its passion to reach people, in its passion to create a space of, of openness and, and receiving. Um, I think that we've fallen in the trap often of making this place a hotel instead of a hospital. Do you have a favorite seat at church? I do, under that fan. And I've noticed that if I sit here, I miss the wind of that fan. It's terrible. <laughs> and then I've noticed that if there are other people here, I quickly want to get to this fan so that they don't sit here under my fan. <laughs> Is that okay? And then, so they have to sit there. Sorry, brother. It's your first time, you know. Or maybe it's your third time. First time we treat them nice. Third time we're like, okay. <laughs> you see, in a hotel, you pay and we serve or perform. And I always get this, are you not entertained thing from Gladiator. Anyway, so there's a clear split between staff and guests. Those who work there and those who don't. I, when I walk into a hotel and it's expensive, they all work for me. <laughs> the waiters, the cleaners, the reception. Have you noticed our reception at a hotel is mainly there for complaints? It's not really there for compliments. It's got a little compliment box at the side where you can just put in, but that's just for looks. And I think they're trying to tell us like we need to give more compliments. Anyway, they receive complaints. That's what they do. That's their job. We're here to serve. We're here to sort you out. We're here to look after you. We're here to massage your shoulders. You're a recipient of our service. In a hotel, it's about me, no doubt about it. I'm not there for the comfort of the staff. <laughs> and it's about value for money. I think the church is more like a hospital. Now, there are little holes in my analogy, of course, as any analogy does. I think we're here to contribute, all of us. Sorry if you thought it wasn't like that. <laughs> I think 
It's about us including them. I think that we're like the nation of Israel and that we're called for a vocation to include the neighborhood into this narrative. I think that's our job. I think we exist for our non-members. Can I have an amen? I think that's why we're here. I think it's all about contribution. I think our reception is for gratitude. Have you ever walked out of a hospital being healed and restored and everything? And we've been in a few the last couple of weeks and walked past reception and say, wait, can you give me a minute? I'm just gonna go and complain. This was ridiculous. Like you guys healed me and you saved me and you sorted me out, but how very, like the coffee. Have you ever tasted coffee in a, in a waiting room of a hospital? It's terrible. But it's weird how when I go there, I'm so grateful. 3 a.m. with my children in the hospital. Thank you, Lord, for this caffeine. I don't know where it's sourced. I don't know. It's weird how a hospital that is built for the hurting and built for the sick and built for the struggling invites me in participating. Often when I'm healthy, I go to the hospital and I'm just so aware of the fact that I'm well and some others aren't. Have you had that? I mean, have you had, a, have you had like um, a knee surgery, but you're in the same, you're the same, ice, not ICU, you're in the same theater as someone who's had a heart surgery, and then you're like, whew, it's not me. There's something that happens in you where there's a gratefulness, and there's a contribution, and if there was an extra jelly on your table, love, love hospital food, you give it to the guy who's had heart surgery. Mate, you want my jelly? I, I'm, I'm okay. I don't need jelly. Let's see, I don't need jelly. You want some jelly? Some jelly in your belly. <laughs> okay. I think it's a hospital. I think Irana is a hospital. I've been here just, just 11 months. And what I've seen is that this place is a place of restoration. The amount of baptisms this year, the amount of lives that are transformed, the radical nature of the stories here. I'm telling you, I've been to other churches. Bless them, it's not the same. We have young blood. We have old blood, mature blood, wise blood. We have healthy people. We have hurting people. We have healing people. I think most of us are in the healing camp, actually. Now, not yet. We're there, but can we just all be real this morning? There's something in our heart that's still broken. Is that okay? We haven't arrived. Are we okay with that? If you've arrived, we will circle you with our prayer team <laughs> and make sure that we find the thing that's hurt. We all have something. That's why I think it's a hospital. The team can come up. I'm done. What if the church is a hospital? What if saving lives is salvation? What if our healing is our sanctification. And what if our sending is seeing how many we can send? I attended a conference the other day for the Church of Christ, my first conference. And I met this incredible young guy, and we've actually been friends on Facebook for like five years, before I even came. And when I saw him, I'm like, yeah, I know that guy. He's a phenomenal leader. And when I go and speak to him, he's like, hey, you're AJ. I'm like, yeah, this is who you are. And I'm not naming him. And then he's like, um, do you know that I, I was at Arana? It all started for me at Arana. And now I'm leading. And, and actually, I've got six friends now that are leading in the world in different spheres, and they come from this place. 
I think that should do something to you if you've been here your whole life. I really do. I, I think there is something where every church has a redemptive gift to the world, where they have something that they stir. And I think that if we can continue on this path, 2020 might be a year where we see so much more of that. And even when people leave, because they feel they come back, because they want to say, this is what God has done. This place is built for the dying, the hurting, and the stuck. I have a liturgy this morning that I want to read. Um, it's a liturgy of mission. And after that, I'm going to invite us into communion and do a prayer for us. My official time is done this morning. I want you to read the highlighted part with me, collectively, as a church this morning. As we step into this TGIM life, as we step into this participant life, as we take on the posture of not receiving things from God and not just being the recipient, but actually participating so that Jesus can live through us. Can I invite you this morning? Let's stand. I want to invite you this morning too. And I'm going to read, and I want us together, I just had this image that we would repeat this. There's so much power in unity. You know that we can have diversity and unity, but still disagree on a lot of stuff? If you disagree with the pastors here, don't put up your hand. <laughs> Come and talk to us. But that's actually okay. In fact, the sign of a healthy community is having people in it that disagree with one another. Can we have more people in here that disagree with us? On deodorant? And washing? And how they spend their money? And where they sit? And what fan they pick? Can we disagree more? Is that weird? To ask that this morning, if, if we are dedicated to diversity, can we do it in a way that glorifies Jesus? By having coffee, praying for one another before we talk. I'm going to read this. Blessed are you, creator and sustainer of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. You have given us your peace and set a hunger in our hearts. Lord, restore our strength. Thinking of the Monday, Blue Monday people, restore our strength, give new energy to tired limbs, new thoughts to weary minds. Let's repeat this. This is your mission, Lord. We're in this together. Lord, we are honored that you call us your friends. Come on. Call us afresh to know and experience your love. For this is your mission, Lord. We're in this together. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Can I have a hallelujah here? Yeah? That we may use the gifts you have given each one of us with courage. Lord, make us bold and compassion. Make us soft. For this is your mission, Lord. We're in this together. Open our eyes, Lord, to see your grace at work behind our church buildings. Come on. <laughs> Arana Hills and all the suburbs and institutions, even the non-Christian ones. Because this message touches them. For this is your mission, Lord. We're in this together. Can you feel something shift? As you say, we're in this together. Can you see the Spirit moving in you? Help us, Lord, to work with you in building communities of faith. Allowing your gospel to be expressed in our hurting world. For this is your mission, Lord. We're in this together. 
And the last one, way we proclaim afresh your faithfulness and constant love in a changing and uncertain world. For this is your mission, Lord. We're in this together. Father, let us see with our eyes of faith. For mission is seeing what you, God, are doing and joining in on your work. For the building of your kingdom and the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. I invite you this morning to come and partake and participate in this meal of liberation. I invite you to come and participate in the embodied remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And you can put up that slide. And as you take communion, the next one, you can read this on your own time. And we're going to worship God out of this space into what God has for us in the future. Thank you, team.